1: Is the Canes Corner Podcast with Adam Gold. Don't
0: forget that you can download or subscribe to our podcast in the iTunes or Google Play stores. Or listen to WRALsportsfan.com and on our WRAL
1: Sports Fan app. Now, here's your Canes Corner Podcast host, Adam Gold.
2: Welcome to another edition of the Canes Corner Podcast. I am Adam Gold, joined by ESPN's senior hockey writer, Greg Wyshynski, also one of the hosts of the Puck Soup podcast. I hope you listen to that. He is a wonderful, funny, uh, insightful gentleman, and he joins us. Uh, something you wrote last week, Greg, and I thank you uh, very generous with your time when you don't have to be. Um, the, I, you, read, you wrote something last week that just piqued my interest because I have wondered why it hasn't happened. The, the possibility, well, maybe not possibility, the desire for some to expand the playoff pool in the NHL, but of course the commissioner does not want it.
0: Yeah, and, and like you said, it's more of a possibility. I mean, there's definitely a movement afoot amongst some of these Board of Governors uh, guys to try to you know get this thing rolling. The problem being, as you mentioned, Gary Bettman's not in favor of it. Uh, Gary Bettman has enough loyalists on the uh, Board of Governors to defeat anything that uh, he doesn't want to see happen. Um, their hope is that a new commissioner one day maybe is a bit more open-minded to it, obviously by that time. We'll have 32 teams with Seattle entering the league. Mm -hmm. Or perhaps in the next television deal, uh, there'll be some influence from uh, these new partners um, and maybe even the current partners uh, to try to add uh, one more playoff game, seven versus 10, eight versus nine, to establish who the two lowest seeds in the bracket are um, to really kind of create some super excitement for the playoffs and also obviously to create even a little bit more revenue for the television partners.
2: Revenue. Revenue always uh, is always good. R- real quick, because you kind of piqued my interest, uh, what are the chances that we see new television partners with the NHL?
0: Oh, they're really high. I mean, there's no question that every single person involved in the league that you talk to, whether it's board of governors people, whether it's uh, agents, whether it's players, uh, everybody uh, fully expects that it's not going to be a monolithic TV deal in the next uh, uh, negotiation in the, in the U.S., Uh, That whether it's, uh, you know, ESPN or or Fox or whomever, there's going to be another television partner along with NBC. Conventional wisdom is that NBC is still going to have a a part of the package. The uh, president of NBC Sports, Mark Lazarus, spoke Mm -hmm. to the Board of Governors. Gary Bettman has a very good relationship with NBC, obviously, through the years. So the thought is is that they're going to have a part of whatever television package the, the NHL decides on. The real interesting uh, aspect of this is going to be the streaming rights, to be right. honest with you. That's where you start talking about Amazon being involved and other other uh, uh, platforms that might be looking at the NHL as a, as a flagship to attract viewers to their uh, startups. Uh, that's where things are going to get really interesting, I think, is on the, the digital side. But on the broadcast side, the, the idea is definitely that it's going to be NBC and someone else. Uh, and maybe even someone beyond that. Maybe they go full-on uh, NFL uh, in sharing the rights and, and, uh, and try to get as many partners involved as, as possible.
2: Uh, ESPN Plus is doing, I think, fairly well. I'm a subscriber to ESPN Plus, um, and I'm trying to remember why I did that. It might have been to watch a golf tournament way back when. Uh, <laughs> but uh, there's a lot of good stuff on ESPN Plus. Uh, is that a possibility?
0: Well, I mean, ESPN Plus has the games now. I mean, we have, we have a game every oh, night on ESPN right. Plus, and it's, and it's pretty cool. I mean, it's, it's through our, our deal with, uh, with BAM Tech, Major League Baseball, right. Advanced Media. Um, so, you know, we get to curate the games a little bit. We, the, the matchups that you see are usually, I think, <laughs> better than the ones you're going to see on television. And then on top of that, you know, uh, Linda Cohn and John Butchagrass are doing a nightly highlight show uh, called In the Crease that uh, Emily right. Kaplan and I take part in occasionally. So it's, you know, the, 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 there is hockey, uh, you know, if you have ESPN Plus, and uh, and that's always a good thing. It's a good thing for us. I mean, if you, you know, enjoy the writing that we do on ESPN.com, mm-hmm. let it be known that it gets a lot more uh, push and uh, and publicity on the main page when we do have a game that we can kind of tie it to. So, you know, as we do this podcast today, I did a, a piece on Mira Heis- uh, Heiskinen, the brilliant rookie yeah. defenseman for the Dallas Stars. Well, we have the Stars on tonight, so... You know that's going to get maybe a little bit of an extra nudge, uh, uh, traffic-wise. So it's been a, it's been a nice way to kind of focus our our energies in writing to make sure that we include a lot more teams than maybe you normally would. Um, but it's also just been great to, you know, in, in, our, in our second year there to have hockey back on ESPN in a, in a pretty significant way. They 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 really think it's an important part of the uh, the equation for ESPN Plus.
2: Well, the the truth is is that the demographic. Uh, of people who uh, like hockey and who uh, get a lot of their sports from uh, streaming services. Uh, th- those two things do kind of m- uh, marry up pretty well. It's uh, Hockey has a uh, slightly younger demographic than some of the other sports, especially baseball. Um, and I guess... <laughs> I guess I need to pay more attention to what's, uh, what's available to me on ESPN+.
0: Uh, and, I, I, you know, before we before <laughs> go on, I, I, w- I want to mention, you know, part of that is, is also that hockey fans have always been ahead of the curve as far as tech. Um, they've yeah. always been the most tech-savvy fan base, uh, whether it's you know, early adoption of digital media, uh, whether it's uh, you know, u- utilizing YouTube and, and you know, obviously, the, the people who make gifts on Twitter, um, it's gotten to the point where you don't even have to watch a game anymore because you know someone is going to clip the best right. things that happened in that game and put it on their Twitter feed. And to the NHL's credit, they let that happen. Um, you know, at Major League Baseball, the NFL, other other properties, the Olympics, they, they crack down on people that right. try to, you know, uh, create videos of, of games and, 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 and swipe stuff off the, 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 the broadcast and stuff like that. So the NHL has always been very hands off about that, and I think it's been one of the reasons why, this fan base has been trained to, you know, consume the games in, in different ways, and, and are so tech savvy and, and willing to, you know, stream games and not necessarily be tethered to their televisions.
2: Greg Wachinski is joining us here on the Kane's Corner podcast. You follow him on Twitter at Wachinski, W Y S H Y N S K I. I want to go back. Want to finish up a little bit on the expanded playoffs idea. Um, roughly, I mean. Betman is the commissioner, but the owners are in charge. Uh, so, how many owners do you think is it a majority of the owners that would like expanded playoffs? I know I'm raising my hand here in Carolinas because it's been since 2009. <laughs> I'd love a couple of more playoff cracks, but I get it. Um, that shouldn't be the reason to do it. But the you know, just what kind of support is there for something like this?
0: Well, I mean, one of the governors I spoke to said that there's a, a lot of guys in this room who want it. I don't know what that necessarily means as far as numbers. But I do know that there's, there is, you know, in talking to some of the other governors, there, there has been discussion about it. And then You know, does that mean that they're grabbing their torches and marching on an NHL headquarters to get it done? No.
1: <laughs> but right.
0: there's definitely more than a few that, that believe that it is time to expand it. And, and rightfully so. I mean, if you, if you look back at the history of the league and the history of the league's expansion, the, there was a time uh, in the, the 1960s, in the 1970s, the early 1980s, when the playoffs would have this elasticity when it came to expanding the number of teams. The, the playoffs would expand as the team expanded. We've gotten to 16. Mm. Uh, obviously, people feel like that's a perfect number, and, and, and the tournament itself is always the best thing in sports. Yep. And, and I think there's been a real sort of like hesitancy to mess with, with perfection. And I'm completely cognizant of it because I'm a traditionalist, and I don't necessarily want to see the playoffs get screwed up either. That's why I think that this plan that these guys have been talking about, the fact that it just affects the seven and eight seeds, and then the winners of those one-game playoffs get immediately seeded into the the bracket that we all love, I feel like that's a a nice sort of bridge between people that want to, you know, blow up the playoff process and and those of us who really uh, enjoy the the current format. I I don't buy the idea and some of the the complete sort of uh, misnomers that have been put out there about this idea uh, I don't buy the idea that the 9 and 10 teams are unworthy. Right. Um, I think they're only unworthy because we say they are now. But mm-hmm. it was a time when, you know, the uh, eight uh, eight other teams that didn't make the playoffs were unworthy. You know, it's it's right. you just make them worthy by saying they're playoff teams. And I also don't buy the idea that, that expanding the playoff field to 20 teams means, well, why don't we just let everybody in? Well, no, we're not. <laughs> we're letting... Over a third of the league will not be getting into the playoffs. Right. So I mean, like, that's a pretty, that's still a pretty palpable number. I I know that people look at the NBA and they look at you know baseball and football and they say, well, look at their percentages versus what hockey's would be. But when have we ever looked to those sports and said, well, we should do what they do? We're, right. we're we do our own thing. And I think having an expanded playoff field at this point with 32 teams would be the right thing for the league.
2: Greg Wachinski is joining us here in the Canes Corner podcast. Uh, Do you like the current playoff structure? Now, forget about how many teams, but do you like the current playoff format?
0: Um, There's some things I like about it and some things I don't. I mean, I I do think that there are, you know, some interesting entry points um, with the wild card format that you might not have had under the other format. Mm -hmm. Um, I think most times you're not seeing a situation where teams are being frozen out because of this format. Um, the thing I absolutely loathe about it, and I still don't quite understand why they do it, is the refusing to protect the top seeds part. You know, like these guys play 82 games; um, they, they, you know, they bleed for it, they sweat right. for it, and then they get into the playoffs. And if you're the Tampa Bay Lightning or the or the Nashville Predators, well, there's no way to avoid the Toronto Maple Leafs in round two or right. the uh, Winnipeg Jets in round two. It's it's completely idiotic. Um, there's no benefit to the top seeds then. To try to finish with the best overall record because they're locked into playing a really, really good team in round two rather right. than playing the weakest team left in the field. So that's that's always going to be my primary gripe. I, I think the NHL does it because of some idea of like, oh, well, we can do a March Madness like bracket and have it all planned out. Um, I don't quite think people <laughs> approach the playoffs mm-hmm. the same way they do college basketball. Um, but so, but the format itself, I mean, is it is what it is. I think it's produced what they wanted it to produce, which is rivalry matchups early on. Um, I just think the inequity of it is is, is really a non-starter for me.
2: Forced, forced rivalries doesn't work for me uh, when it comes to the playoffs. I've always thought it would be the best for the league to have the two best teams in each conference if seeds hold meet in the conference finals since that's really where you get the most attention and the last couple of years we haven't had that. We've also had situations and I don't remember the team specifically where, uh, where the, all of a sudden you, you, you are, uh, more, it's more beneficial maybe to be the, uh, the, the fifth seed or the fourth seed or the first wild card, than even in the playoffs, then, uh, then finishing third in the division because you get to play the other side as so you can you can kind of uh you know f- fool around with uh with your own playoff scene and you can intentionally kind of game the system wouldn't yeah. it be better just to have if you're going to have divisions have two divisions and then you get in and then just seed them 1 through 8 wouldn't that be the best way to
0: do it well yeah now and and the previous format was kind of like that and, and right. i i, I had no problem with that um uh i think that, again like their their thing was they want to eliminate those uh, sort of uninteresting early-round matchups between teams that had nothing to do with each other, you know, the Rangers and the Panthers or something like that, and, and, and try to make it more of a, of a situation where you're going to get, you know, the Flyers and the Capitals or the Flyers and the Rangers more than,
1: mm-hmm. than you
0: would otherwise. So, I mean, I get the idea behind it, but, um, you know, it, it, listen, there's always going to be inequity in these processes. Uh, I, I remember back in the day when, you know, people would scream about the Southeast Division and how easy those teams had it, versus the other divisions and how that was you know, inadequate and how back in the day you know, the Pat, maybe there'd be a year where the Patrick division was down and the Adams division was mm-hmm. great and, and then the, the fifth-place team in the Adams division is looking over at the Patrick and being like, if we were there, we'd be second. You right. know? So like, there's always going to be these, these sort of um, inequities in the process. But uh, you know, the one they have now is, is okay. I mean, as long as you've got this BS forced parity of loser points and, and that kind of <laughs> thing, I mean, it's just going to be what it is. But uh, but 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 as far as you know, teams feeling like they got screwed out of a playoff spot doesn't happen all that often. Right. But as far as for top seeds like, feeling like they got screwed out of uh, whatever they've earned in the in, in the regular season, I think that happens every season. Uh, would you be in favor of
2: three points for a regulation win, two points for an overtime or shootout win, and one point for uh you know uh, uh, you know a regulation tie?
0: Um. You know. I, uh, listen, I don't, I don't like. The forced parity aspect of it, I understand what they do it. It's a business decision. It tries to string along teams longer than uh-huh. they probably should be strung along to, to, you know, make pretend that they're playoff contenders. <laughs> so I understand the business aspect of it. But but yeah, I mean, any anything that puts the emphasis on winning a game in regulation uh, in, in in a proper hockey format before we get to the bastardized carnival games of the three on three in the shootout <laughs> to me to me is going to be the, a good thing I think you want to reward winning in the first 60 and not have you know the, the, the team that could put off the Matthews Mitch Marner and, and Morgan Riley out there uh, in, a, in the three on three necessarily earn the same number of points as the team that can win uh, in the first 60 minutes of the game
2: I, I would like to see Mitch Marner, Kaperi Kapanen, and Morgan Riley. Uh, out in three on three, I d- <laughs> I don't believe anybody could catch them. I watched uh, the first time Toronto was in. Uh, Kasperi Kapanen took a puck down the right side and li- like I thought he was like loaded into a slingshot and fired down the ice like they do human bowling. Yeah, it was it was stunning how well- fast he was.
0: It's still ba- it's still baffling to me that people you know gripe about the three on three. There are still people that just, that feel like it's uh, you know the novelty is worn off or yeah. teams are too cautious. I mean, I- I've heard all of this, but I watch a lot of hockey, and-, and inevitably in these games, there's no matter how careful they want to play it, there's one moment where a shot goes awry, and then for the next you know minute and and and, and thirty, you just have teams going back and forth yep. and trading chances and. And then on top of that, I mean, you know, the fact that we have this just incredible amount of young talent and speed in the game now, I mean, it's it's the perfect place to to spotlight it and accentuate it. And I've never never really gotten the idea or gotten behind the idea that it, that three on three is a bad thing for the NHL. No,
2: I think three on three is incredibly entertaining to watch, uh, absolutely riveting. All right, want to uh, get to since I just saw them, uh, William Nylander, uh had six penalty minutes, but he did have an assist. Uh, last night, and the Leafs 4 1 win over the Hurricanes. The contract, ultimately, uh, a good one for both parties. Uh, and how does it impact Sebastian Ajo as I bring up the Carolina Hurricanes?
0: Well, I, I think it was, you know, a, a win for Nylander in the sense that he got a better contract than he would have gotten had he signed before the season. Um, I think it's, uh, you know, a, a, still a win, but maybe not as emphatic for the Leafs. Mm. Uh, to get the guy in under the seven million he was apparently looking for at an annual cap hit, and you know, kind of throwing out the idea that that Leon Draisaitl's contract with Edmonton should even be comparable in any of these situations. Right. But as far as Aho goes, you know, we had we had Matthew Kachuk on ESPN on Ice, our, our podcast, me and Emily Kaplan uh, this week, and, mm-hmm. and I asked him about the Nealander contract. And first of all, he said, you know. All the boys, you know, want to just basically hoist the guy <laughs> on their shoulders now. As far as like uh, blazing this trail to show that you know maybe the team will blink if you push them to the brink. Right. Um, but as far as, as as the contract goes, I mean, I think it, it reinforced the idea that uh, none of these guys are going to take less than what they think their their market value is. And uh, whether that's Kachuk with the Flames, whether it's Aho with the with Carolina, or any of the guys that are up next summer, and there's just a slew of them. Uh, I think Nylander showed that uh, you know if you if you have some resolve, if you have the the quote unquote stones, <laughs> as I think mm-hmm. a, as Kachuk put it, uh, then I think you you know the, these teams are um, going to eventually kind of settle. But you know the interesting thing about about you know Nylander versus Aho, for example, is that you know, the Leafs can afford to kind of do this dance, right? right? When you have Marner and Matthews and, yeah. and Tavares and Kadri and all these guys, um, you, you know you're going to be all right. Um, and you even know you're going to be all right if the guy decides not to play. But other teams simply don't have that luxury, and Carolina's one of them. I mean, if they go three months into the season with Sebastian Aho on the on, yeah. on the sidelines, mm. I mean that's gutting that's... the best offensive player from your lineup. You know, so yeah. it's I think I think the Leafs had a luxury that other teams don't have.
2: Oh, there's 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 no question about that. Uh, b- based on Nealander versus Aho as players. Sebastian Ajo worth more money than William Nylander or less?
0: Well, I mean, you know, it's all contextual. Um, You know, in in Nylander's case, I think he's worth what he gets. uh, Right. Not only because of what he is, but also because of what they have to eventually pay Matthews and Marner and what they're already paying Tavares. In Ajo's case, I mean, you're looking more like, you know, the the guy leading the the parade, right? So in that sense, on, on this team, and and looking at the rest of the salaries, uh, and looking at his impact on the team from a success failure standpoint, I mean, I think he's probably worth more. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but again, it, you know, I I think he's a better player, um, but I also think that contextually, he's probably worth more than Nylander, uh, based on what he means to the to the Hurricanes uh, from an offensive standpoint.
2: Tom Dundon, don't listen to that part. He doesn't want to. Have, <laughs> he doesn't because I, I know they they were they were certainly. Hoping to get Sebastian Ajo in for, uh, I wouldn't say significantly less than that, but certainly less than the six nine. I've always thought the number was going to be uh, closer to seven five a year, but we'll see uh, what happens with that. What is the perception of the Carolina Hurricanes? I, I look, uh, we've we we have a uh, an analytics. Uh, set of hockey fans and we have an old school set of hockey fans like Brian Burke hates of course celebrations um, but we but the 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 analytics say the hurricane should be much better whether it's uh, Corsi or Fenwick or expected goals all of these things say Carolina should be better and yet Carolina's, what, one point over NHL 500. So what's the public perception, your perception, other guys in the uh, national hockey media of Carolina?
0: Well, my perception of Brian Burke is that he's auditioning for John Cherry's job. So, I mean, <laughs> he's just going to say whatever comes to mind to get that job. Right. Um, but, but my, I think the perception of the Hurricanes, and just asking around about him, especially earlier in the season, is, you know, the, the goaltending was once again problematic and, and, and wasn't, sufficiently addressed, although I think, you know, McElhaney obviously has sort of been a steadying presence in some ways since he was acquired.
1: Um,
0: I think that they they know that they have some really smart people in the front office, Eric Tulsky being one of them. Mm -hmm. And, And I think they also know that, you know, they're in that weird spot right now where there's parts of the team that look like it should be, you know, sort of playoff worthy. The, the blue line, for example, is, is the envy of the league. And I think that, you know, if, if, if Don Waddell had called up uh, Kyle Dubas and said Jacob Slavin for William Nylander, I think that trade would have been made yesterday. Um, but But, you know, those are the kinds of assets that you don't give up necessarily because no. that's the rock of your team. I also think that there's a real anticipation that, you know, they've got some absolute, Offensive studs, not only Ajo, but obviously Smetsikov and and uh, and uh, uh, the kid down in the AHL yeah, Mart- that Martin yeah,
2: Martin Natus, yeah,
0: yeah. I, I mean, I think these guys are are clearly you know set up to be a, a real forces in, in short order. Um, so uh, you know the the perception is that you know, they can't score, but offense is on the way. Um, but still, the sort of head scratching befuddlement of watching a team that all the metrics say are, are doing all the right things, but they simply you know, can't necessarily put it together in a sufficient way. Yeah, the
2: interesting thing is that, and I just I've, I've written about this a couple of times for our own website. Um, Goaltending is not the issue with this team this year. It was in the beginning of the season, and part of that wasn't just Scott, uh, part Scott Darling. Part of that was Mrazek didn't get off to a great start, uh, but McIlney did come in and settle things down, and then got red hot, and they rode him for four games, mm-hmm. uh, and he's been. I mean, Curtis McIlney has been tremendous. Uh, but Mrazek, since coming back from the groin injury that kept him out a month, uh, Mrazek, he led up four goals last night, but Peter Mrazek was outstanding last night. You can't convince me otherwise. Uh, really, none of the goals were on uh, were Mrazek's fault, zero. Uh, they were all breakdowns. And, uh, we had an own goal last night from Dougie Hamilton. Jacob Slavin made a mistake and passed the puck to Tyler Ennis for the first goal. Uh, it's just bizarre, some of the things that happened. Um but darling has not was not good and darling was summarily waived and all that. Well you know, that'll work itself out. But goaltending really hasn't been the issue. The issue for this team this year has been with all of the, you know, well you just use the term high danger chances, they just don't bury him. It is amazing. So Aho was on the goal crease with the puck alone uh at with Frederick Anderson couldn't beat him. Tavo Teravainen. At a redirect right in front from a centering pass, all alone in front, couldn't beat Anderson. Some of that is the goaltender, uh, but when the goaltender is the first star of the game, more often than not against Carolina, I think it's a Carolina problem, more more, more than it is a goaltender problem. That scoring goals when they get these great chances has been their problem.
0: Yeah, for sure, and and you know it's 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 the the cruel irony of the NHL that once you get one part of your team finally figured out in a, at least in a, in a, in a, in an average way, I, I, I would disagree that, you know, the Carolinas should, Carolinas goaltending should be lauded. No, uh, no,
2: not lauded, not <laughs> lauded, but that's not their problem.
0: No, but, but I mean, then, then the shooting percentage goes in the toilet. So right. it's like, you can't, you can't get both things going at the same time. And I think that's sort of been the issue with this team. You can go back to the Bill Peters years, you know, in, in the years in which Peters was able to get this team maybe scoring a bit more, uh, then, then there'd be nothing on the back end to kind of, uh, uh, you know, reinforce that. So, yeah, it's it's just been inconsistency, and and uh, and, and obviously the offense has, been, uh, has left a lot to be desired.
2: Yeah, you know, the uh, you mentioned Bill Peters. Uh, a, a, another problem with Carolina having a, I, I believe, still a record low shooting percentage at this point of the season, uh, which was hovering around six and a half percent, and Justin Fox shooting percentage being like one percent. I, and Falk, I'm not even complaining about Justin Falk. I've joked with John Forslund, our play-by-play guy, that somewhere along the line Justin Falk became Glenn Wesley, and I don't <laughs> mean that as a Uh, as a knock on Falk because Wesley, when he came to Carolina, his offense, that that he did have offense in Boston and then in, uh, you know, know, we get to Hartford actually, but uh, he did have offense in Boston. And when he got to uh, this organization, the offense went away, but he became one of the great stay-at-home solid defensemen. Falk has been excellent defensively this year, but he's really getting paid to score goals and he's got – He's got one, Uh, but with, with all, you know, uh, we'll just get to, I want to continue the thought so I don't forget it. Um, Hurricanes fans look and they see a Bill Peters team in Calgary leading the division, Um, not by a lot, but leading the division. They see Elias Lindholm closing in on a career high in goals already before Christmas. And Jeff Skinner's got 21 and it seems like every night it's either a game winner or an overtime winner. Uh, he's got three of the last seven games have been overtime winners for Skinner. Uh, so, I, Hurricanes fans are just really salty <laughs> that these guys have gone elsewhere and all of a sudden started to to career it.
0: My, my Skinner conspiracy theory has always been that, you know, the the Hurricanes were over a barrel and there's only a couple teams he wanted to go to. Well, oh, that's otherwise true. otherwise that... Yeah, otherwise otherwise that trade is just atrocious, right? Yes. So like, I mean, they obviously felt that he was um, a, a one-dimensional guy that they weren't going to necessarily pay the commiserate money to, and, uh, and that may, that might still be true. I mean, I, I think that his offensive numbers obviously are incredible. Eichel's the best center he's ever played with, yep. and, uh, and he's in a contract year and everything's come together for him. But, I mean, at the end of the day, he's still, I think, the guy that the, the Hurricanes believe him to be. Um, you know, the, 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 the Hannifin trade is a tough one because Lindholm is doing exactly what they acquired him to do, which is to play on the top line and, uh, and put up numbers, but also be a studying defensive presence yep. for Goudreau and Monaghan. And, and it's worked out perfectly. Hannifin's worked out really nicely. Hamilton has shown, you know, moments of offensive uh, uh, flourish, but has also been a mess sometimes. Yeah. And, you know, the great equalizer in this trade is, is going to be the Adam Fox aspect, mm-hmm. and I think that's just sort of lingering there. I mean, we all know we've all seen the numbers he's been putting up in college and, and, uh, and, and know the talent that he has. I mean, to, to me, it's like, you know, I know there's probably a lot of people trying to judge this trade. That's, to me, the part that needs to be judged. You know, yeah. if, if he comes in and he's a hurricane, well, and you add him to this blue line, Well, my God, like it is it is now something really special. but um, but the but the, uh, the challenge is is can you can you convince him to to come to Carolina?
2: Two things uh, uh, about I, I had conversations with the uh, with members of the organization last night. I'll leave them the names out of it. Uh, Skinner gave the uh, the hurricanes three teams, two of them didn't want Jeff Skinner. Uh, he ended up going to the, old, the the third team that he would have gone to. And, yes, you're right, the, the, the Sabres had Carolina over a barrel. Uh, Carolina is incredibly confident that they will be able to sign Adam Fox. In fact, I joked with uh, somebody last night that, is there a way you can get Harvard's
0: season to end sooner? <laughs> so because well I, again if yeah. if that, that to me that that was always the x factor in this trade i mean i like hannahson i think he kind of fits in in what they do in calgary i like dougie uh you know and 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 you know hope that maybe he can get his, his game together yeah. a little bit more but fox was always the great the, the the big mystery the the big riddle you know the the one that could in in you know 10 years make us look back at that trade and being like oh my god what the hell does the flames do so um that's good news, then, isn't it? Yeah, no, it's great. It's great news, and now I've started watching
2: uh, videos of twenty-year-old boys in college, and I'm uh, I feel dirty. Uh, Greg <laughs> Greg Wyszynski, uh senior writer from ESPN. Uh, you can check him out on the Puck Soup podcast. One more thing, one more issue before I say goodbye. I Thank you so much for the time. Uh, I ended up in a Twitter war with Tom with the Tom Wilson fan club. Uh, no. About a week or so ago, um, his his hit on Sini, uh, I guess is uh, how you pronounce his name uh, from mm-hmm. the Devils versus Ryan Reeves hit on Tom Wilson. I don't play the he had it coming because I'm that's not my that's not my motivation. There were a lot of people on Twitter that enjoyed that. Uh, but what did you see? What Wilson did as egregious and worthy of league action? Uh, and you know, maybe in your thoughts also on the Reeves hit uh,
0: in both cases. I mean, in the Wilson hit, you could even argue that the, the game misconduct conduct was egregious to be honest with you. Okay. I mean, like I, I, I just, I didn't, I felt like that was your, your classic reputation play, uh, where they, they looked at who delivered the hit and what happened to the guy. And then, and then the guy gets kicked out of the game for it just because he just served a monstrous suspension, um, and then, you know, the, the player did come back in the third period of play. The Reeves hit was maybe a little bit more egregious and, 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 uh, and intentional um, as far as it's, uh, the, the, the history between those guys and what happened on that right. play. Neither of those hits rise to the level of suspension in, in any way, shape, or form. And, and you know, I give, I give the NHL credit because the easiest thing to do to appease people would be to then suspend Wilson again. right? Um, but th- they're pretty good on precedent and they're pretty good at, at trying to find, you know, follow their own guidelines and not throw the book when it's not supposed to be thrown. Um, so I give them credit on in both of those instances, because I didn't think either one of them was a, a suspension, but you're right about the Wilson fans, man. I mean, even, even someone like me who defended him as uh, being a, a, a top line player who earned his ice time and, and a talented guy and not the the troglodyte that people make him out to be—they um, come after me if I, I offer even a soft criticism of the guy. Uh, so it, it's it's a really intense and bizarre fan club, um, and uh, and one that you know when we when, when he screws up again because he will,
1: yeah, um,
0: it, it's going to be really stunning to see what the reaction is going to be, and and also what the reaction of the league is going to be because you know they've they keep losing these appeals. Um, but now that uh, he's gotten it, uh, I guess it was what it was fourteen or fifteen games that reduced to sixteen. I forget exactly what it was. Right. Um, but that's that's now the baseline for him for the next the next one.
2: I thought it was funny that after serving sixteen games, they reduced it to fourteen. Uh, should they tack on two games at the end of the season? Uh, I I talked to Justin Williams about Wilson. This was actually last year, and uh, Justin, who had a chance to play with Tom for a couple of years in Washington. Um, and I, I asked him about a particular hit he goes I haven't seen the hit but let me tell you about Tom uh, Tom a is a great player and B is a great teammate um, and yeah you got to be aware of where he is because Tom will uh, will you know tread the line uh, right right down the sea he will go over the edge every once in a while uh, that's that's the kind of player he is and that's what makes him effective um, and that's the way the game has been played Sometimes you cross the line, you get banged for it, and sometimes you don't. But Wilson is a tremendous player, and there's a reason uh, why he's so good, and why I think Washington has taken a step forward.
0: Uh, Right, and 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 you know the the thing that people always say when they see these suspensions is, well, you know, it's on the NHLPA to to you know police these guys and come after these guys. Most of the people in the NHLPA love these guys. You know, they love Wilson, they love Ryan Reeves, they love uh, the guys that can either throw the fist or throw the body. Um, because it means they don't have to do it. That was always something that stuck with me when, when Chris Pronger was acquired by the Flyers. And, yeah. uh, and, you know, at the time, his reputation was much like Wilson's. I mean, right. just a injurious, reckless player, um, you know, who had a, a number of suspensions to his credit, including one in which he stomped on the, the leg of Ryan Kessler with his skate. <laughs> um, you know, and I just remember talking to somebody and being like, you know, what does that mean to the locker room? Like, what, is, what does bringing that guy in mean? And, and the response was it means that, that he does the things that they know that need to be done that they don't have to do, because right. like, he'll do them. And, and I think that's the case with a lot of these guys, and that's the case with why a lot of these players aren't going to necessarily you know bang the drum to get Tom Wilson out of the league because that element is really important to him.
2: Greg Rushensky, senior hockey writer. ESPN.com, Puck Soup Podcast as well. Uh, and uh, watch all the stuff on uh, ESPN Plus that apparently now I got to pay more attention uh, to <laughs> what I have available to me online. Uh, Greg, thank you so much. I appreciate the time as always, and we'll talk to you very soon.
0: Anytime. Thanks. That's this week's Canes Corner with Adam Gold. Download or subscribe to our podcast every Monday during the Carolina Hurricane season in the iTunes or Google Play stores or listen at WRALsportsfan.com and on our WRAL Sports Fan app. And don't forget, for the latest Canes coverage, log on to WRALsportsfan.com. Every game on the Canes Radio Flagship. 99.9 The Fan.